electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dean, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. New Apple worries as a star analyst raises concerns about the coming quarter. What does it mean for that stock, tech, and the markets overall? We will discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me this Friday, Bryn Talkington. John Ajarian is the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. On set with me right here, Jenny Harrington and Jim Labenthal. Let's start as we always do. Uh, it's 12 noon in the east. We check the markets. They are weaker, as you heard the guys uh, just before us say. Services uh, miss. We're digesting the jobs report. Ten-year note yield is at 296, so we're moving back towards three. We do think the biggest story in the market today uh, is Apple, which is dragging about, Jim, 50 points from the Nasdaq 100. The news, of course, is the star analyst we refer to is Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty. She warns of App Store weakness in May, which she says, quote, a deceleration in App Store growth likely points to fading consumer spending on goods and services that accelerated during the pandemic. She still likes the stock. It's still a top pick. But nonetheless, it is Apple. And that's a concern. So it is a concern for investors because particularly in the technology space, this is such a gorilla, right? I mean, this is something like 11 percent of the triple Qs and it's about 6 percent of the S&P 500. So it does matter. I do want to point out a fact that I find important, which is that this year, the equally weighted S&P 500 has mightily outperformed the market cap weighted S&P 500. And what that means is that for the last six months, the influence of Apple on the overall market has been waning. It's still big. Make no mistake about it. And the the fact that there are analysts coming out and revising down the near term estimates is of concern. That said, I think this broadening out of the of the market's participation to more than just the FANG stocks, more than just the top 10 stocks of the S&P 500 is likely to continue. It's healthy overall to not have Apple be that important and probably more importantly to all of us as consumers and as people who participate in the world. A slowdown, whether it's from Apple or the overall economy this quarter and next, is unlikely to upset next year's earnings and economic growth on the back of pretty massive capital expenditure, primarily for supply chain onshoring. All right, so I'll Bryn, leave it there. Bryn, I, I turn to you um, because I think you've been a little more concerned about Apple than others of, of late. Uh, I don't think the position size that you have is as large as it once was. Uh, Dan Niles today, uh, Apple's very expensive, he says, relative to some other names like Meta and Alphabet. Do you think the same thing? I do. I, I agree with Dan. I think where, you know, Apple over the last, especially the last three years, you know, has just done extraordinary and really just been such a COVID beneficiary. I think where the knock I've always had on Apple, I think Tim Cook is fantastic. Apple really hasn't had great earnings growth. They've had, once again, they get a halo effect because it's Apple. Tim Cook is great. But Apple's earnings growth for 2023 is only looking to be right shy of 7%. 
And so when I look across, it's got about a 23 multiple growing earnings at 7%. Yeah, they can do share buybacks, but in this kind of market, I think that's why you'll conti you know, continue to see pressure on these big cap tech names that really don't have that earnings growth that the market's expecting. I mean, Netflix, Disney, Facebook, Google are all much cheaper from a PE and actually growing earnings faster. And so I think the market will start to necessarily, will start to distinguish between those as they're looking to put new money to work in the space. I think Apple may be a laggard here. So John, um, you own Apple shares and you own calls. Mm -hmm. um, yep. There's two questions here. Is this a reason to sell the stock? If you don't own it, is it a reason to buy it? of which Jim Cramer says today, you should not be buying Apple if you don't own it. I predict a bunch of numbers cuts next week because of services slowdown, a la Morgan Stanley's call today. What do you make with that? Well, um, it goes back to uh, what your taxable uh, liability is, Scott. Um, if you and I debated it and uh, with the committee, with Bryn and everybody said, well, the fair value for Apple is 10% uh, lower. Um, if you take uh, your long-term capital gains and pay that and then try to get into it on that 10% lower bottom, um, you've vaporized a whole bunch of cash. So if you're talking, and I'll, I'll do that for now, I'm trading in a non-taxable environment, uh, both because I'm in Puerto Rico and because accounts I manage for my family are tax deferred. So. Uh, I could be exiting, and I'm not. Instead, I'm just aggressively selling at-the-money calls. Um, and I think that is more than enough to cover a 10%, for instance, downside correction if indeed services slow uh, because of the uh, uh, what Katie Huberty expressed about that perhaps uh, impacting services, the App Store only growing at 4% instead of 7 or whatever the projected uh, growth rate was. So that's what I'm doing, Scott. I think an investor sitting at home that is paying taxes on this would be loathe to uh, uh, sell the stock. And again, I can't pull the trigger for them, so they have to decide if that's appropriate for them or not. But to just basically flip money to Uncle Sam on the taxes does not seem like a prudent way to attack Sure, this. but let's attack it fundamentally, though, um, Doc. If you, if you think that... I mean, services are the big point of growth for Apple, obviously, right? The growth in iPhones has, yep. has slowed over the years. Services is where mm -hmm. the company and investors need to be placing their bets. So if estimates, Doc, are coming down for the, for the June quarter because of the App Store, mm -hmm. that sets up for a difficult number, potentially, potentially, for the yep. services growth, which is the biggest part of the growth engine for the business. I agree. Um, and right now, I think Bryn put it well when she said that there are other companies that are growing faster. If you want a fast growing company, and again, th this gets back to what Bryn and I both do, and I know other members of the committee like Jen and Jim do it as well. But if you're selling options, Scott, against equities that you own, it's like collecting rent for an apartment. So I am perfectly happy just to have a very stable apartment and not chasing that one on 57th Street on Billionaire's Row, that maybe it goes from 50 billion or $50 million apartment to 70 million. I'd much rather own an apartment that's very steady, which I think Apple is. And like you said, services may be impacted again, may be 
impacted. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Apple makes money, that 30 percent, 35 percent on something, you know, in the App Store that uh, they didn't build except for the App Store itself. They're making money on somebody else's sweat and intellectual uh, capabilities, intellectual properties. So uh, I'm, I'm right back to the same thing. Uh, give me a stable stock. Uh, nine times out of 10, I'll buy that stable stock rather than the fast grower, mm -hmm. if indeed I'm somebody who wants to generate cash every month and cash flow is king to me and not just Kevin O'Leary. So, so Jenny, you don't own it and that's why I saved hey. you um, purposely for last. This idea that Dan Niles puts forth though, if you look at the forward PEs, Apple's 24, Meta is 16 and a half, Alphabet 19.7, right? So he talks about these other stocks being cheaper mm -hmm. th than Apple. What do you think about that? I think it's the beginning of the realization that these are mature technology companies. And so to me, we own Facebook Meta in our growth portfolio. That multiple makes sense. The free cash flow makes sense. I'll tell you where we would start to look at Apple. We would start to look at Apple for our growth portfolio if it was trading at about $100 a share. Because at about $100 a share, it's in its historical multiple range of 10 to 15 times. And that range accounts for the fact that growth isn't going to be what, you know, what people like to pretend it will be. Growth, to Brand's point earlier, is around seven percent might be a little plus or minus but we need to adjust all of our expectations for a more reasonable rational multiple range and what they really are which is mature growing at not double digit not stratospheric levels see jim you sounded to me like you kind of explained that this away that it's not that big of an issue for the overall market oh there's a rotation and everything is just fine and dandy my question to you is, you know, the, the market can deal with a Microsoft cutting its its EPS guidance because of FX rather than fundamental changes in the business. Theoretically, the question is, can it deal really in the fragile state that the market is still in? I think we can all agree we on that. We can agree on that. We can certainly uh, can agree it deal, on that. Can it deal with Apple's disappointment? Yeah. Well, I, look, I think it's dealing with it right now, and I think mm -hmm. the reason that it can, Scott, is really quite simple, which is that this market has been, look, it could get a lot cheaper, but it's really cheapened a lot this year, mm -hmm. um, trading it roughly 17 times forward earnings, 16 times next year's earnings. And look, we're all part of an ongoing conversation every day here. Certainly it can get cheaper, but the way that this market deals with it is at least in part by having anticipated this, which is why multiples have come down. I'm not saying that it's easy for this market to rally if Apple, Apple falters further, but this is why I've been more tilted towards the cyclical side of things. That's where I've found not only cheaper valuations, Scott, but higher earnings per share growth. And frankly, this is why I trimmed Apple uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, not far from the all-time high. I just said, this is what Jenny's saying. This is what everybody's saying is the multiple is simply too high. So it can stay at that multiple and grow into it at 10% mm -hmm. earnings per share growth. But that's the best you're going to get is 10% earnings per share growth and 10% share price growth over the next several years. So our, our technology reporter, Steve Kovac, follows this company especially closely. Uh, he's with us now. What do you know about this, um, if anything? Is this going to be now a, a prevailing conversation until that next earnings report comes out? What is the services growth going to look like? It could be, Scott, but you've got to keep in mind, this has been going on all year. This isn't just a month of April or a month of May thing that's been happening. 
when Apple reported earnings last quarter, I asked the CFO, Luca Maestri, about this, the decelerating growth in services. And he basically blamed COVID. It's a lot of what we've seen with the gaming companies. People are stuck at home. They're stuck on their phones and they're just spending more on digital content, whether it's from Apple itself or from a third party like a game or something like that. So they've been seeing this. And you got to keep in mind, it's spring, it's spring break, people are going out, summer travel is coming up. That just means less engagement and less spending on digital services. So I was not surprised to hear that it keeps decelerating. And another thing to keep in mind when it comes to services is we're going to get a hardware service most likely later this fall with the new iPhone. That means you spend an annual fee and you get a new iPhone every year and they bundle in a bunch of Apple services like music or fitness or and so forth like that. So... Look, again, App Store is decelerating, but they have ways to combat it either with this iPhone uh, subscription program. And you also can't sleep on this ad business that they have within the App Store. Ever since they implemented these privacy changes, they've actually been taking some of this digital ad business away from Facebook for people who want to pay to have their apps promoted in the App Store. So that's another huge area of growth within the App Store business that can kind of combat this decelerating growth in App Store sales. Yeah, it's interesting, Bryn. China remains sort of a a key variable here, and even Katie Huberty discusses it, calling it one of the main drivers of the May weakness in the App Store, but does suggest that there's a reacceleration beyond the June quarter. And I mean, that's why she's still able to reiterate the overweight rating on it with the $195 price target, which still, Bryn, represents 33% to the upside. Sure. And so we'll, we'll see as China opens. And she was really clear that the, the change from April and May was, was largely due to China. But I do think that the markets had a pivot here. And it's really coming now to not what multiple or what earnings Apple will have, but what multiple does the market want to pay for Apple's earnings going forward? And I agree with everyone else on the panel that I do think you've had a pivot where just because Apple's doing buybacks, because they do have slow earnings growth, that's that's my that's my my question and where I would caution that if the market is changing what they want to pay for these multiples, then I think you could still see some flat to downside in Apple. And that's why, once again, selling calls against it is a great idea, especially if volatility picks up. You could get more premium on that on that on that call on that call premium. This this Kovac is is kind of overshadowing now what would have been a conversation about the developers conference next week. I'll give you a crack on that to sort of set us up of what we should expect. But now that's what the conversation is, at least today, taking a little bit of the zest out of a look forward to that. Yeah, that's right, Scott. So that's going to be they're going to have a bunch of developers on campus actually next year on Monday to go over all these changes to their various platforms, especially iOS. That's going to be the one everyone's watching. And again, I just want to go back to that ad business, because if they implement even more privacy features into iOS that can Uh, kind of make it harder for companies like Facebook to target ads, that actually benefits Apple too. Now, they're not going to take all of Facebook's ad business away, but they can take those app install ad businesses away because the app store becomes an attractive place for a developer to spend their money and pay Apple to promote their apps and increase their downloads. So I'm going to be looking for anything related to privacy features, again, how it could affect their social stocks, and then again, that app store growth that they're trying to combat with this ad business inside the app store. All right, I appreciate you being with us. Uh, that's Steve Kovac. Again, our technology reporter covers this company especially close. Let's bring in our headliner now, uh, someone who suggests that the FANG stocks are going to do quite well. Uh, along with the overall market. He's Tom Lee. He's Fundstrat's uh, chief strategist. Good to have you uh, with us uh, once again. So, I mean, your, your new note, once again, 
Uh, we lean relatively bullish. You want the, the FANG stocks are going to work. And I'm wondering how that's impacted, if at all, by what Microsoft said yesterday. And now this news from Apple. Uh, I mean, that's all part of the bottoming process, Scott. I, I think what people have to keep in mind is FANG and the NASDAQ 100, if you look at the distribution of valuations, it's lower than it was in the trough of 2003. And a lot of people might say, well, hey, after the dot-com burst, uh, you, you had to buy something else. No, it turns out the NASDAQ outperformed from 2003 to 2008 the S&P by more than 4,000 basis points. So growth is really what people are going to buy even after all this carnage. And these estimate cuts and impacts from FX or even supply chains, as much as these are sort of painful now, not really changing the story that there's a generational story, Web 3.0, these are great blue chip companies, and, and that's going to help them produce earnings visibility that's better than the rest of the economy. So I, I think that even if multiples compress now, they're still going to be great stocks. And I think from a performance perspective, the things are actually starting to break out. And I think is, if they're bottoming, I, I think it bodes well for the market overall. Just raises the question overall of where earnings expectations are, right? Whether they're too lofty for even the best of the best for a variety of reasons. You could say that Microsoft is the canary in the coal mine in terms of FX. Now we're going to start hearing about that, which impacts tech, uh, perhaps greater than, than some other companies as well. Now you have Apple. Kramer suggesting yeah. it's not the last that you're, you're going to hear of, of, of cuts around Apple. Then who's next? Doesn't that fly in the face somewhat of what you're suggesting? Uh, it's a good point, Scott. I mean, I, think, I would say if someone's cautious they're going to say, well, you, we haven't discounted earnings cuts, which I think is correct. There are going to be earnings impacts. But I think the bigger calculus for the market at the moment is that the Fed's been having to battle this inflation battle only with monetary policy. And so that's been the downside tail risk. But on the flip side, if inflationary pressures are easing on their own, which especially on the good side, I mean, inventory is piling up and with slower units, I mean, that's discounts coming. Plus, if there's changes in either the China supply chain or the direction of the war with Russia, Ukraine, all of a sudden the right tail actually has a higher probability of happening. And then this, the Fed's battle isn't alone. I, I actually think that that's more important or equally important to markets and probably offsets the risk that earnings are coming down because at the end of the day, people will focus on the inflection on inflation and monetary policy. If it really is an inflection on inflation, I mean, Lael Brainerd yesterday on our network refused to go there. Uh, she certainly had an ample opportunity to join a chorus of people like yourself who suggest that inflation's peaked, and she chose not to, saying she's looking for a more consistent read from the reports that come out. Now, the CPI is coming up in a couple of weeks, and that's going to deliver it in, in some respects. But the jury is still very much out before we all of a sudden declare victory, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Fed needs to so toe this tough line because they need markets to cooperate and keep financial conditions tight. But if you look at the soft surveys, whether it's the job postings, you know, whether it's Indeed data or link, uh, link up, there's been a serious deterioration in job offers being out there. That won't show up yet. We've seen it in the layoffs data and, you know, layoffs on startups almost quadrupled. And from a you know, housing perspective, things are slowing. We know inventories are piling up. I don't think the economy can actually have faster momentum in the face of all this, especially with higher gasoline. So it's, I think it's appropriate for the Fed to say this, 
But on the flip side, I think it's also hard for someone to make the case that inflation is going to accelerate from here. And one thing people forget, if you look at the 80s and the Volcker period when he crushed inflation, it wasn't services inflation that came down. It was the collapsing goods pricing that fell. And that's what broke the back of inflation. As soon as consumers see discounts, it's not it's no longer an inflation mindset. So I think we really have to see how goods and retailers and furniture and cars, if they're starting to discount and homes are already being discounted, this is not an inflation acceleration story. It's an inflation decelerating story. Now, your target, correct me if I'm wrong, has not been changed, right? You're looking for literally a thousand more S&P points by year end. You, you really sticking with that, Tom? Really? Yeah, Scott, I, I know it sounds crazy, but uh, I think in the second half, a lot of positive developments take place, including us getting through a lot of the Fed tightening. But more importantly, if we remove these right tail events like war and China, these are four or 500 points in the S&P alone. So maybe the 5100 is March 2023, a couple months late. I think that the probability of new highs this year is still greater than us going to 3,400. So I, I would say stocks have risk reward. And I know it sounds crazy, but again, we just have to watch Fang. And even though it's kind of choppy in the last couple of days, I think the leadership is coming from Fang. It only sounds crazy because the market has, has been, as I said, they used the word fragile uh, earlier. I mean, I, I, I've spoken with people who suggest that the risk can still be made to the upside if you, for the very reasons that you just said. If, if you do get positive inflation read, if you do get positive resolution to what's happening in, in Ukraine, I, I, I can certainly see an instance where the market would respond accordingly. Tom, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. That's Tom Lee, uh, Fundstrat, with us. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back up next. Jenny is making, let me just say, a surprising move in her portfolio. It's a stock that's down more than 40% year to date, more than 50% from its high. We're going to reveal it and debate it in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
All right, we are back. And we need to talk about this move that Jenny made. Admittedly, I was shocked <laughs> when I saw this. Knowing what you do and how you do it. You bought Uber. Right. All right. Do they pay a dividend? Yes or no? No. No. How profitable are they? Very. They're very profitable. So, so here, do you want me this to? This is what it's like, Jenny. When okay. he does this, just, so just be aware. All right. <laughs> all right. So, first of all, this one. You understand my shock, right? Yeah, I know. It's I was out so of excited. character for you. Honestly, it was out of, out of, it's out of character. Well, this is for our discipline growth strategy. So, we have the dividend strategy that has the 5% dividend yield hurdle, and then we have the discipline growth strategy where it needs to have a 5% or better free cash flow yield. And here's the scoop on, on Uber. We, we've been sifting through the rubble. We looked at Pinterest, DocuSign, Etsy, PayPal, Netflix, Zoom. And, the, and Uber. And the only one that made the cut was Uber because Uber has 20% revenue growth expectations ahead for 23 and 24. That translates to $2 billion of free cash flow in 23, $4 billion of free cash flow in 24. Okay. And that gets it to that 5% free cash flow yield. So they're at this inflection point where they have massive scale. They were not one of the pandemic beneficiaries where they only benefited for a short time. In fact, the revenues that they just announced were 60%, sorry, 68% higher than pre-pandemic levels. What's also interesting is with the share price, you have two things happening. One, you have the valuation rectified, but also, or reconciled is probably the better word, um, but also you have capital discipline coming in, not just to Uber, but also to their peers. So now you have Lyft, DoorDash, and Uber who are all looking at their businesses a little differently and not saying, hey, let's just grow for the sake of growth. They can't be as aggressive as they were. They've been hobbled, right? They've forced re to, been forced to face reality. Mm -hmm. And so now we have this business that we got to buy 62% off its high with really amazing um, cash flow generation ahead of it. As an aside, we sold Amgen in its place. And so this was just a portfolio management move where we sifted through, we looked mm -hmm. at Amgen, still great earnings growth ahead, 8% earnings growth, 2 to 3% revenue growth, but that didn't even close to stack up to what we thought the capital appreciation and total return could be on Uber. So we punted Amgen, we added Uber, and I honestly was so excited to tell you I couldn't stand it. I'm sure, I'm sure, because <laughs> you knew what my reaction would be. I know. John, what's your reaction? <laughs> My reaction to Jenny's portfolio? No, your reaction to the fact that she bought Uber, right? As she said, was sifting through the rubble. So I'm, I'm equally as surprised by the names that she was looking at, too, because it's just not typically what Jenny has suggested that she does. Or, or in, in terms of those kinds of stocks, she has not been interested in for the most part. Yeah, well, um, when, you, when you see a quality company that... Um, is certainly top of mind with Americans and globally. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all, really, to see that Jenny would at least take a look at it. The fact that she breaks down the numbers as she does, Scott, um, again, makes me, it would make me more interested in actually owning shares, which I do not at this time. I scalp a lot in the options of Uber, but I do not own those shares. Um, but she makes a great point, and I'd, I'd be willing to join you, Jenny, on that trade. <laughs> I wish Josh was here because he he owns it. And you guys have, you know, gone back and forth about stocks from time to time. And I, I would love to, to see his opinion. Serrat owns to it, too. We'll, we'll get their we'll get their opinions of it the next time they're on. Let me get one more real quick from you. American Eagle, you bought more of that. Why? Right. So last week we sold H&R Block. That had a 70 percent return since we bought it. The yield. This one's for our dividend strategy. Right. So that had a 5 percent plus yield when we bought it. The share price went up a ton. Yields about 3 percent now. So this is purely portfolio management. This isn't trading. So we 
increased our position in American Eagle. That's got nearly a 6.6, sorry, 5.8% yield. We also increased our position in Arda, which is an aluminum can company, with the proceeds from H&R Block. And this is just increasing the yield overall. What's neat on American Eagle is the valuation, in my opinion, fully accounts for weakness in the consumer. And what we saw pre their announcement uh, last week was we saw $2 of earnings expectations. They announced earnings go to $1.85. That's a lot better than I expected. It more than covers the 72 cent dividend. And then this week, it was pretty great. Just today, they announced a 200 million share buyback and early retirement of some convertible debt. So what they're saying is we've got tons of cash. We're going to use it. We're going to make our stock stronger. See, you said dividend on that one, <laughs> dividend on the other one. No dividend. Uber, it doesn't well, matter. Different portfolios. I understand. I know, but it's still you. Same Thank person. You. <laughs> Same <laughs> manager. All right. Uh, Bryn, you have a new buy as well. You want to tell us about that one? Sure. Well, I mean, I've been talking about energy for, for years now. And so I took a small position. I'll be, I'll be adding more if we get a pullback in a company that's really well known down here in Texas called Blackstone Minerals. And they're a, a royalty company. But what's interesting, I already own Viper which is also a royalty company that yields about 9%. Blackstone, the majority of the minerals are actually natural gas related. And so I think natural gas is gonna continue to, to, to have some really good opportunities over the next you know, six to 12 months. And so I wanted some more direct exposure, but unlike some of the other natural gas players, because it's a royalty company, it's really CapEx light. It's just taking a scrape off the top of those prices. So, so if, if natural gas got cut in half, then the stock would be under pressure. As natural gas goes higher, those distribution yields are going to continue to increase. And so it's, it's around 7.5, moving to 10% distribution yield later on this year. Mm. And so I wanted to take a small position. And then as I think you could see a pullback in the energy complex, I would definitely be looking to add that in some other names. Maybe Jenny should take a look at that one. Dividend yield 10%. Wow. Pretty juicy. All right. So you gave her an idea. Thank BSM. Ticker. <laughs> Take a look at it later. That's what friends are for. All right. <laughs> Boeing is lower on the day. It's still up about 5% this week. What CEO Dave Calhoun said today, what shareholder Jim Labenthal says next. We'll do that. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's talk Boeing. Shares up 5% this week. Jim's favorite CEO, Dave Calhoun, gave a presentation in which he said he's confident on the liquidity position of the company at a point where they're quietly paying down debt. Delivery numbers would be bigger, but they're facing supply constraints. For context, I, I know I joke about it, but you literally went on our air and suggested that he should not have that job anymore. You are a shareholder. Um, 
And I remember that conversation yep, we had because we too. had it with Kramer, too. I do, too. I remember it very well. I'm going to be a little bit more mature. I was angry. OK, that was after just a terrible earnings report that, that just cut so many of us shareholders off of the legs. It is clear from talking to industry insiders, Scott, that there is a culture problem and has been for several years at Boeing. And Mr. Calhoun is doing his level best to fix that. It takes time. I respect that. I acknowledge it. He's also been at it for a long time. To put it simply, the stock should be up nicely on today's news. The reason it isn't is simply a credibility issue. This is a simple fix. He needs a win. Mr. Calhoun and thus Boeing needs a W. What's and a there's w? an easy one, a win. Here's how it's coming. He needs to get the 787. I, I know what a W is. I'm saying what is the win? Yep. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't sure. Sometimes I take you literally. Sometimes I don't. Okay, but continue on. Look, he thinks 787 deliveries are about to be approved. Um, they should be approved by the end of July. Frankly, probably before that. That is the W that he is looking for. It comes and it's going to be very good for Boeing and, frankly, for Mr. Calhoun as well. All right. Do you get a W uh, on Alaska Air, which raised its revenue outlook? And that's the one airline that you own. Yeah. I also you remember I nibbled at Delta a few weeks ago. But okay. boy, boy, whether it's Delta or Alaska, which Airlines, also raised its didn't it raise its guidance, yeah. too. Yeah. Or its and, outlook, whatever. You know, Alaska Airlines says it's going to have double digit pre-tax margins this quarter. Uh, they're going to have more revenue this quarter than they did in the same quarter in 2019. So things are going well. Obviously, we know about expenses. We also know that there's a pilot shortage and that's not easily fixed. Those expenses and the pilot shortage are probably what's holding the stock back. But to the bigger picture beyond Alaska Airlines, things look pretty good for air travel. And it's hard. Sorry, I'm going here, Scott. It's hard for me to wrap my arms around a recession anytime soon when the airplanes are packed, packed, and at high prices, too. Okay. Jenny, JetBlue is uh, the airline of choice for you? Right. In terms of stock ownership? Right. And I don't know, I don't know that it really matters which one you own, because to Jim's point, the airlines are packed, and, I, and they are getting back to, to previous revenue number, previous earnings number. So when we bought JetBlue, the assumption was they'll eventually get back to $2 a share, stock's trading at $10. That is really cheap. It should probably have a 10 times multiple, could probably be a $20 stock. But what I think is interesting with respect to the Frontier and Spirit um, acquisition debate debacle, mm -hmm. what they want from Spirit is more pilots. And so there is this pilot shortage. And that's why they're saying, hey, we'll pay you $200 million. Frontier says, oh, we'll pay you $250 million. And they're upping these, these breakup fees because what they need is the labor. And that's the easiest way to get it, right, to buy, to, a, buy a competitor. Let's go to Frank Holland now, who has the uh, headlines for us today. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Scott. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. A federal grand jury is indicting former Trump advisor Peter Navarro for contempt of Congress after he refused to cooperate with the January 6th committee's investigation. Two more shootings in America in the last 24 hours. Two women are dead in Ames, Iowa, after a gunman opened fire in a church parking lot on Thursday night before reportedly turning that weapon on himself. This just hours after five people were shot while attending a funeral in Racine, Wisconsin. So far, no deaths have been reported. In the past nine days, 20 shootings in which four people were hurt or killed have devastated communities all across our country. In a primetime address last night, President Biden called for action. My fellow Americans, enough. Enough. It's time for each of us to do our part. It's time to act. For the children we've lost, the children we can save, for the nation we love. Let's hear the call and the cry. Let's meet the moment. Let us finally do something. And that is the very latest Halftime Report. We'll return after this.
All right, welcome back. We are almost exactly, we really are exactly an hour away from a big interview here on CNBC. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester will be speaking exclusively with Steve Leisman, who joins us here at the desk. Good to see you, man, in person. You better see you, Scott. So you, I think, characterize, I think I heard this right, the jobs report today is neutral on inflation. Is yeah. that what you said? Yeah, because we had a good job growth. It's, it's, it did not speak of an economy that was weakening, but we did bring in the workers to fill the jobs. So mm-hmm. 330 came in. These are not perfectly comparable ideas because they're different surveys. 330 came in, 390 went to work. Uh, a little bit weaker on the on the wage front, so that was pretty good, but not, nothing really to dissuade the Fed, at least for the next couple months. So what do you expect Mester to say? And let's take it from the prism of what Brainerd said yesterday, because I think the headline of that was 50-50, and then we'll see, but it's hard to see a pause in September. Market sold off a bit on that. It did come back, of course, as stocks did. But nonetheless, we know June and July are are set, barring a shocker. It's what comes after that is the open question. So there's some play there, but not the most play that I'm interested in. I I like watching the market take a story like a football and run with it. Um, and sometimes they run in the wrong way to the wrong end zone. This idea of a pause in September, I think it was never going to happen. The chairman talked to us about it. Bostic mentioned it. I don't think he meant it like this is going to happen. To me, it was, are we going to do a 50 in, in September or is it going to be a 25 in September? I don't think the mm, Fed is right. anywhere near stopping. And Brainerd came through and said, yeah, I'm not sure about that. But pause, that's not on. I never really thought it was on. It was kind of interesting to see mm-hmm. the market sell off on that. Like, wait, you really thought there was going to be a pause? So my interest to me, guys, can you put in the Fed rate outlook here that, I, that, we, that uh, we've created here by uh, my great producer, Betsy Spring there? Uh, and and the, all the play in the market, it's not in the, the first three bars. It's that middle bar right there. That The month moves and the rate moves. When is the peak rate coming? Is it June 23? Is it August 23? And what is that rate? It's been as low as 280, Scott. It's been as high as 340. That's where the market is trading now more or less hawkish or dovish is what happens next summer. What I want to know from Loretta Mester, and I don't know what she's going to say, is how high do we go? Do you think there needs to be a positive rate, 1%, plus inflation, 2%, plus restrictive, 1%? That would give you 4 that's the upside that I'm interested in to want to know how far she feels we have to go. I'm sure you're going to ask her her view on whether inflation has peaked or not, as Sarah asked Brainerd that question. And Brainerd wasn't willing to go there. No. Right. Some have suggested some people who have some of the Fed speakers have suggested, well, you know, the signs that it might have peaked. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't willing to go there. She said they need more consistent proof. We're in the whites of their eyes on inflation here, right? The Fed has been burned here. And by the way, it's worth thinking about the extent to which that uh, uh, you know, has an influence on how they act here. They thought it was transitory. They ain't saying transitory no. anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to take a couple months worth of inflation data and say, it's gone now. It's peaked. They're going to want to see it show up in a variety of ways in the uh, employment report in the, and in a variety of the inflation reports that are out there. What about her view? Um, and, and we'll find out, obviously, what her view is on the economy in a week in which Jamie Dimon made the hurricane comments Uh, Musk is talking about a super bad feeling. Those were his words about um, the economy. You have job cuts in tech, the highest since 2020. So there's, you know, there's a lot going on there um, that raises issues towards their view, which has been articulated. We're starting from a very strong base of where the economy is now. 
if it's weakening faster than they thought, like they were wrong on inflation, I wonder how that calculus all works together. It will work together down the road to influence those rates I saw you out. It won't work to influence the, current, the, the, the near-term rates. Um, look, I don't see the weakening. I don't see it in the jobs report. I don't really see it in the ISMs. They're down a bit, but they're mm-hmm. still, you know, solidly into growth territory. It may happen. You know, Jamie Dimon has his, his, uh, he's astride the economy. He sees it in his book. Uh, uh, Elon Musk, I'm not sure he's up there at the stratosphere. But you've been in the Labenthal camp in reasons. terms of the consumer, right? You, you yes. said a week ago a we week had a ago. conversation about yeah. whether the consumer was weakening. Uh, or not. And I mean, I'm sure you could hang on a data point here and there that's just to suggest they are. Jamie, but Jamie agreed with me, actually. He said six to nine months. When I look at the amount of excess savings out there, they have the money to power through. If you could bring inflation down, keep jobs up, you could have a soft landing, Scott. It's not out of the question. One thing I think is very fascinating to me, having covered recessions and, and, and blow ups over the years, the idea right now that tech is the industry Taking it on the chin from Fed rate hikes is, to me, I don't remember this happening before. I see tech having uh, job losses before other places. It's supposed to be manufacturing. The old line industries that are hurt by the Fed, Mm -hmm. it seems to be tech is on the front front end of this. I got to go. All Uh, right. We we do got to go. 55 minutes from now, we'll see you with Loretta Mester. We look forward to that. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Take a look at the mystery chart, too. It's a big semi-stock that's pulled back 24% this year. Now, a new... Bearish Call is out on it today. You all know the name. We'll discuss it next. All right, we showed you that mystery chart before the break. It's Micron down more than 6.5% today because it was downgraded to underweight at new, from neutral. Uh, that's at Piper. Price target gets cut down to 70 bucks from 90 Downgrade is largely due to the company's oversized exposure to mobile, PCs, and other consumer end markets and the associated trends in the macro. Bryn, you don't own it. You own NVIDIA. uh, But this may be a read-through if, in fact, they are correct for the reasoning for the downgrade into other stocks. So if you think about the the, the, the analyst piece, which I think is spot on, where they have about 50 percent, over 50 percent, is coming from the consumer like PCs and mobile. I think as a consumer, if we if you haven't bought a new PC or upgraded your phone in the last three years or during COVID, I don't know if you ever will, right? So like everyone upgraded because we were at home and you just needed to rely on so much more technology. And so I think it's a, a good read through that we've just already upgraded. And so the next couple of quarters or next year or so, you could just see lower, lower demand there. And so I just think just like Apple's report in terms of, let's say, the app store is slipping or you may have some, you know, latent effects from COVID. I think the Micron report is really a little bit of the same, you know, different, different, different notes, same song. Yeah. Doc, um, like Bryn, you own NVIDIA. You also have AMD calls, which was reiterated. AMD was today Mm -hmm. a buy over at Bank of America. John, oh, he's frozen. You just. John, can you hear me? Yes, I do, Scott. I hear you. All right, good. Um, I like AMD because of the uh, uh, positioning in those data centers where they've really taken the lead and knocked uh, Intel out. Uh, But overall, I'm a bigger fan of uh, NVIDIA from this point, Scott, so I continue to own both. Let's talk oil for a second, too. Uh, There are some interesting calls here that conflict with one another. 
think. Uh, Chevron reiterated underweight at J.P. Morgan. Exxon reiterated overweight at J.P. Morgan. You got a take on that, Jenny? Yeah, I found it a little confusing. For me, we own Chevron in the portfolio. We don't own Exxon. Back a year and change ago, Chevron was, to me, the better bet because the dividend was more was better covered. At this point, I think Chevron probably is likely to earn $20 a share. You put a 10 times multiple on that, you've got a $200 stock, so there's not huge upside, but it doesn't make sense to have it underweight. Okay. All right, good stuff. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Unusual activity with Dr. J is next. All right, John, unusual. What do you have? Well, uh, you know, you just spoke of energy, Scott, with Bryn, and uh, obviously this is a big concentration of mine. Halliburton, uh, they're buying the uh, June 45 calls. They basically expire two weeks from today, Scott. The stock was $41 earlier today. I put on some June spreads in Halliburton, HAL. Second one, Rocket Mortgage, RKT. This one, of course, got lifted in that uh, meme uh, fever that was 2020. And now with uh, interest rates going up, housing uh, perhaps under some pressure and mortgage rates, people aren't applying nearly as much. Obviously, that's negative for them. They're put buying at the July 8 strike. So July 8 is the strike that I bought as well, Scott. Lastly, STEM. This is not STEM cells. This is instead storage of energy. And STEM, they're buying June 10 calls. Um, and the stock was about $8.90 this morning when they were buying those. I put that trade on as well, Scott. Good stuff, Dr. J. Thank you. Another quick break. Then we got final trades on the other side. Thank you. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, there's your market picture. We're kind of holding steady here with a loss of 218 on the Dow. NASDAQ, from a percentage standpoint, getting hit harder today. Uh, Apple, uh, clearly one of the reasons why they're dragging down some of the bigger cap tech stocks as well. 262 is the loss on the NASDAQ. It's 2.1% there. Give me a, uh, tell you what's coming up at 4 o'clock today. In overtime, we have another big show. Rob Seachin, Brenda Vangelo, Adam Parker, Kevin Simpson. We're going to get his latest moves. The covered calls, a, a big deal with him too. Uh, and our MVP is back. Our most valuable pick. It's a big call today on a stock that's gotten crutched. So uh, we'll tell you all about that from the person who made the call today. I'll see you in a few hours there. All right. Uh, you want a final trade? Sure. What do you got? Next week, I'm headed into New York City for the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trust Conference in person. First time in two years. So I'm giving you SL Green. Big office landlord, 6.4% dividend yield. Okay. Jimmy? And I, I did tell her I thought that was a pretty bold call. I want to see that work because out. Because of uh, city, New York City office space? Exactly, exactly. I'm in the office about three times a week, and it's barren, man, but I really hope it comes back. I want you to be I right. Um, my final call is Boeing, and I know I spoke about it earlier. You put Boeing together with what the airlines are saying, the demand is there, but you know it's also there? High fuel prices. The airlines need new planes to take care of the high fuel prices. It's Boeing and Airbus. And look, these guys are sold out for years to come. So you got to get in line now. That's, by the way, why uh, Boeing's been getting a lot of 737 MAX orders the last couple of weeks, Scotty. Okay. Brid, what do you have? Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about the NASDAQ. So if you want to buy tech, there's a strategy, JEPQ, JP Morgan, 
it's mainly the NASDAQ constituents, and then they sell out-of-the-money calls mm -hmm. um, on the NASDAQ. And right now, with the elevated volatility, it's got a, a premium yield around 10%. So it's a defensive way to get into the NASDAQ and also collect some income. Okay. And Dr. J. Scott, uh, this is one that Pete and I have each been talking about for weeks, ChargePoint, CHPT. Mm, yeah. um, they have been coming in here time and time again. This is the biggest today, though. They bought 90,000 calls out there uh, just at the 15 strike with the stock at $14. That's one of the biggest trades in equities that we've seen in a long, long time. I really don't know what's behind it, mm -hmm. but as a surfer, I just kind of run with that wave and try to get on it, Scott. So right. I'm on charge point. All right. Good weekend, everybody. I'll see you in a few. And over time, the exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.